Welcome to Inside the War Room, Ryan Ray here as always. Today my guest is Sean Patrick Griffin. But first, but first, we're only asking for one thing for the next month. That's a five-star review wherever, wherever you find this wonderful podcast. Okay, today I brought on Sean Patrick Griffin to talk about the Tim Ganahe story. It's a story that if you're into basketball, you've heard about it. Um, but if not, you might be interested. So we talk about what's fact and fiction with surrounding this story. And Sean has a book on it, um, Gaming Behind the Game, or sorry, Gaming the Game, which we'll link to in the show notes at warroommedia.com. Without further ado, let's talk to Sean. Sean, welcome to the War Room. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let me just go back in time here. Because I remember uh, when this story broke. Um, I remember my thoughts at the time. And and at the time, I believed that Tim was probably a rogue official. Um, betting on sports from an official standpoint probably wasn't a big thing. Um, and that the NBA was doing its best to rid of this terrible human. Um, by the way, we have an interview we just recorded, hadn't released, I mean, you're talking at least, but we'll be out by the time that this podcast drops, uh, talking about Ken Caminetti and the steroids era and how my views on all that shifted. So as we sit here in 2022, what I now would be inclined to believe is that this was potentially widespread conspiracy, I say conspiracy, widespread cover-up from the NBA standpoint and that Tim wasn't the only one. Um, but you are the expert on this matter. There, there's There's a lot of things I don't understand. So Maybe unpack first what got you interested in the story, and then how off am I on all of this? Well, let me allay your fears. You're in the majority. A lot of people have the very same opinions and uh, concerns that you do. But the answer to your question, how I got involved, um, I was out. It's a long story. I was out promoting my last my my book prior to Game in the Game, uh, which was called Black Brothers Incorporated, and so I was out doing that media tour, and someone saw me uh, who I had not known contacted me and asked me, are you going to be writing about the NBA betting scandal? And by then, the main thrust of the story had been told. It was all over national news. And so my argument was, well, what, what the heck is there to tell? I mean, my gosh, it's been national news. The cases were already going through the criminal justice system. Uh, and this person said, look, trust me, um, no one has talked to the professional gamblers involved in this story. Now, if you stop right there, I research organized crime for a living. And generally speaking, when you talk about organized crime and gambling, you're talking about local bookmakers at a local pub, at a bar, minor stuff. No one really has researched professional gamblers, people who bet for a living, bet millions of dollars every, every day, claim it on their taxes. It literally says on their IRS returns, professional gambler. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll humor this meeting. But at a minimum, I wanted to see if I could understand that world of big time professional gambling and what relationship, if any, there was to organized crime. But the NBA betting scandal part really wasn't sexy to me because I thought we already knew. Well, I met with one of the gamblers for, I don't know, 20 minutes, a half of an hour. And I thought, oh my goodness. I not only realized what the public didn't know because I was the public, I realized why we didn't know. So that got me started. And then I, of course I got in totally immersed in that world of professional sports gambling. Uh, if people read Game in the Game, they'll see that the first, I don't know, third of the book maybe, is not about the NBA betting scandal. It's about how sports gambling evolved, especially in the 90s with the rise of technology and offshore sports books, which were not regulated, are still not regulated, by the way. And 
it's just fascinating that there are millions of dollars being bet every day and how that money gets laundered offshore back onto onshore uh, and all that sort of thing. So that's how I got interested uh, in the story. So much so since you said in your introduction that you believed in this conspiracy and that Tim Donaghy was being painted as a rogue referee. When I started my research, it was, I don't know, late 2007 or 2008, something like that. Well, I'm deep into my research when Tim Donaghy gets out of federal prison and writes his own book. Well, I buy the book. I'm thinking we're going to glean some information. And my goodness, you realize right away, you didn't need access. I say this all the time. You didn't need access to my, I have the FBI files. I've got, I had access to the law enforcement agents, the U.S. attorneys, officials, the professional gamblers, the sports book managers, all sorts of people who had intimate knowledge of the scandal. But if you read his book, you don't even need access to all the stuff I had access to. He says hundreds, not dozens, hundreds of things that he couldn't possibly know. He talks about the motivations of the FBI agents and what they were doing and where. He had no idea about any of that. Uh, he talks about what the U.S. attorney's officials did and why they didn't. He didn't know any of that. And I always said, people, when they read that book, I don't know if they realized, never mind any of the conspiracy stuff, on the basics, somebody should have said, wait a second, how could he possibly know any of that? And people were so desirous to believe in the sexy conspiracy stuff that they blew right past all the ways he was telling you he was either making things up or just flat out lying. And of course, all of the falsehoods trend in one direction. They either minimize his culpability or deflect uh, from what he was doing. So anyhow, that's what I was doing back in uh, 07, 08. Gaming the Game came out in 2011. And really the biggest challenge since then was again, because there was this narrative painted starting in 2007 when the cases hit the media the public didn't realize they were only hearing Tim Donaghy's version of events. And then, of course, his book came out, which ex exaggerated and uh, built upon the ridiculousness in 07. And no one realized, oh, my goodness, yeah, we've never heard from all the people who were actually orchestrating this. So that's how I wound up in this situation that in 2022, this Netflix Unfold special comes out. And I'm doing I'm doing this sort of thing all week because uh, there are plenty of people who really do know what happened in part because of gaming the game. And they just can't believe that we're all these years later and people are still getting the story wrong. And uh, at best, some people have painted the story as a he said, he said framing of the story. Mm -hmm. And there's no need for that. We actually do have facts and evidence. OK, so I want you uh, in a second to go back and paint the story um, for those mm -hmm. who maybe not be familiar with it, not, not necessarily diehard sport fans, because it's, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, and I want to hear the story myself. Um, but I want to poke on this logical leap thing here, because this is important. And we had a guest on, oh, I don't know, it's been a couple months ago. And he was arguing that the Zapruder film was doctored. And I have no idea. I'm not a film guy. I have no idea. But, but he said, because it's doctored, it necessitates a state authorized assassination. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It may or may not be doctored. I, 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 we've had on a guest later on who said that's crazy, but I, I don't know. I have no idea. But it doesn't necessitate anything. It just necessitates that it's doctored. And part of the problem when you hear about these people um, and the, the logical leaps that are made at times in these stories, you have to be yes. quite cautious to watch because when you're listening to the guy talking about the Zapruder film, he's, he's a smart guy, well-researched, but then he makes that logical leap like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, you haven't actually proven that. I'm not sure yeah. you proved the other part, but you definitely haven't proven that. And so what you said about Tim in, in, in the book, 
that's something that we all as society have to be quite careful is because someone might have something right here, when they push the envelope, they can go way outside, but it sounds good because they knew about these set of facts. And so um, I just want to make sure we, we, but this conversation goes forward just because that's a crucial anchor port to any, any of these discussions because people want to make these leaps because that's when it really gets exciting. And so I bet you've had to deal with a lot of that. Well, can I, can I comment on that, please? Because my argument has been, yes, we're simply talking about a sports scandal. I mean, arguably the biggest sports scandal in U.S. sports history. But but for people who don't follow sports, and by the way, I'm I'm one of them. Really, I don't I don't really follow. I certainly don't follow the NBA. I've never watched an NBA game. Um, my argument about this story has been that I argue the template for what I'm frustrated and complaining about for the last ten years with the media is happening in other stories, which are arguably more consequential. I keep waiting for people to hit pause to use a dated reference. But you know, when someone says something outrageous, and it doesn't even have to be outrageous, it's a consequential claim. Well, you go, okay, well, okay, fine, you're making that claim. What evidence do you have of that, please? And I'm expecting follow-ups. And this is a bit of a generalization, but I have to tell you, I've seen dozens or hundreds of this example when it comes to the NBA betting scandal story. You'll see people not only not stop and ask follow-ups, they'll just then go down that rabbit hole as if what they just heard was fact yeah. and allow the guest, whoever it is, to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm just always out there hoping that other people are having the same reaction that I'm doing, but I'm, you know, <laughs> it doesn't happen that much. Well, and you can just tell by the reactions to a lot of these stories. Right. And, and no, that's why I like having these discussions on because um, – here is a quote, set the record straight type discussion. And so now you've put a, a certain level of burden on yourself, right? I have to kind of stay within these bounds. And so mm-hmm. um, the, the well, yeah, and you're right. There's there stories were trending yesterday and people were going back and forth. I'm like, there's a couple of basic questions that aren't even being answered about <laughs> the legitimacy of what's going on here, regardless of the commentary of this thing. Like we should just stop and ask a couple of questions here that maybe you know the answer to, but I, I didn't at the time. So yes. So, okay. So let's go back on a high level. Um, the NBA, obviously, if you, if for people who aren't fans of the, the sport, um, you know, there was probably, I remember this game, uh, game six between the Lakers and the Kings, which seemed to be the worst officiated game live in the moment I've ever seen in my life. And if you, I'm not a, refs were fixing the game person at, at that time for sure but that that one it's, it's almost impossible to go wow the nba did not want to change the outcome to get the lakers to game seven and then ultimately in the finals um so in this period tim is operating as an official right and so that would be the only thing i remember from that time that i go wow yeah this is this is it to your point about the gamblers i knew some people who would gamble and they would always argue Oh man, if you watch an NBA game late fourth quarter, they always bring it within the number so that, you know, and, and, and you know, the gamblers are, you talk about conspiracy theories, those dudes, like yeah. the, the, the people that bet, they're huge conspiracy theories because they're always thinking something, something's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to take them seriously. But I said that to say that around the NBA and other sports, there was probably in the public, depending on where you're at, some thought of betting, but the, but the game six between the Kings and Lakers, would be the one time where we all kind of go, wow, they're that bad at the game. So go through the Tim story. That's kind of a backdrop for um, for folks because that does come up. It was lots of the Tim says about this is um, mm-hmm. these type of games. So maybe go through the story at a high level and let's unpack um, fact from fiction. 
well, by the way, I want to just quickly talk about that game. Yeah. That matters. That matters for this story, but only in the sense, and you mentioned the word anchoring a moment ago. Donaghy, I don't even know if he does this consciously, but he's shrewd. You'll, if you ever listen to his interviews or read his book, he only picks the very cases that were already in the public domain right. that he knows people are sure. buying into. It's sure. all it's it's all confirmation bias. And you go, well, wait, Tim, if the if the games are rigged as often and as uniformly as you say they are, you could give us dozens of examples that we've never heard of. Like, we're ready for it, brother. Yeah. Come on, tell us. And of yeah. course, that never happens. And, and to be clear, we're saying the same thing, which is uh, game six would be a game that people watching the sport would go, oh, my gosh. If you talk to individual betters, they would point out stuff all the time, but you're like, How, you know, I don't know. Maybe Denver made a run the fourth quarter and cut it from 30 to 13. I don't know. Like, that's – but. Sure. But 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 lar but largely, this would be the one game where everyone might go. Mm, that seems suspicious. Yeah. Uh, on the fringe of of the the fandom where there's betting, you would hear a lot more talk. But they are again, they're very much conspiratorial about every game sure. the other way. So, but here's the thing: For, like when, when we're talking about gamblers that you and I know, you know, people who don't bet more than a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars. What they're not understanding is that you've got the people that I interview for Game of the Game. They're betting millions every game or at least every day. This is their livelihood. They've got serious research teams and computer algorithms that are tracking all of this. And then, by the way, this goes back 20 years. This isn't just as of 2022. So trust me, if pro gamblers with their research teams and their computer models were picking up that Ryan, when he referees this game or that coach is doing that, they're aware of that. It's not as though that's not fixed into their models. But anyway, to answer your, your question about well, the, the broad. Real, real, just real quick, God, I hadn't had these conversations in a long time. Part of the gambling ethos is selling, quote, insider information. So I remember when I was a kid, we used some folks that used to gamble, and they had this saying, road favorite, home dog for football. So if you went on the road as a favorite and you lost, the next week is, is if you were a home underdog, there was some kind of stat that you were going to win, right? And right, they have yeah, all right. these stats. And there, so there's all these, quote, insider tips on how they're doing it. And it's really just glorified statistics to fit yes, your yeah. confirmation bias. But that's the world – I mean, if people haven't been exposed to people who are uh, compulsive gamblers at that level, you don't really realize just some of the way that they view this stuff and just kind of how out there it can get. Well, here's the thing, you know, for anyone of your audience who are not sports gamblers and who are remotely considering doing it, all you need to know is that the professional gamblers who do this for a living, they're thrilled if they win 52 to 54 percent of the time. So if they're doing this for a living and have all of this data at their disposal and that's their winning percentage, you and I have no shot. That's all you need to know. <laughs> so exactly. you can believe your buddy, your buddy down the street or your fellow, or down, you know, it doesn't matter. You, you know, that's why, that's why uh, you know, the sports book exists. They know that people are going to do that. They, they believe in all, all sorts of conspiracy theories, which hurt, which hurt them financially. Exactly. But okay. to, to get back to the, the holistic story of the NBA betting scandal, uh, where to begin? Donaghy admits to starting betting on his own games in 2003. And I say that because there is suspicion about whether he bet before then or not. I stick to what I know. Donaghy admits to betting on his own games starting in 2003. So the way it worked in 03, he starts betting with a friend of his named Jack and Cannon, who at the time was an insurance salesman. I don't know what Jack does now. Uh, they knew each other for years. And what Donaghy didn't know was where those bets were being placed. So he bets with Jack and Cannon starting in 03, and he bets with Jack and Cannon during the 0304, 0405, and 0506 seasons. Has no idea where Jack and Cannon is placing the bets. And it turns out that Jack and Cannon was placing bets with a, a pro gambler named Pete Ruggieri 
who was good friends and, and uh, not want to say partner, but uh, a colleague of Jimmy Batista's. And Jimmy Batista was another professional gambler who also knew Donaghy from high school. They went to Cardinal O'Hara High School outside of Philly. Well, Donaghy didn't know that. So he's just betting his money with King Cannon. And the reason the pro gamblers immediately caught on to what Donaghy was doing, King Cannon used to bet minimal amounts for regular NBA games. And he would lose just like you, me, and everybody else. Well, after Donaghy hooks up with him, King Cannon starts betting $5,000 a game which is unheard of for him. And they're winning all the time. And so the pro gamblers immediately start assessing what is noteworthy? What is the theme of these big bets that are hitting all the time? And they realize very quickly that they were games officiated by Tim Donaghy. And they knew that King Cannon knew Donaghy. So the pro gamblers, once this happens, they start copying those bets all around the world. And this is where it gets a little complicated, Ryan. I don't know how far you want me to get into this, but the way that the pro gamblers work, you can't go up to a sports book in Las Vegas. You can't even go to a sports book offshore and bet $2 million on a particular game. They won't take that kind of bet. You have to do 100,000 here, 200,000 there. You have to spread it all throughout the market. Well, the way the gambling works is that you even can't do that successfully and you can do, unless you can do it all at the same time because the professional sports books they have to equal the betting propositions. They can't have $2 million on one side of a bet with not $2 million on the other side because now they're opening themselves up for a big loss if they lose. So they only take big enough bets that they can offset. Well, the moment that somebody starts betting $100,000 or $200,000 on a line, that's going to affect the betting line at that sports market. And everyone around the world watches each other's markets. They watch each other's betting lines. So the reason that these pro gamblers are so noteworthy and so good at what they do, they have so many, and they're called outs, so many other sports books. They can call literally within 30 seconds or a minute, either call or with a click of a mouse. They can get two or $3 million down before the worldwide sports betting market is aware of all the stuff that's happening all at the same time, because otherwise they wouldn't get that betting proposition. If they want the Philadelphia 76ers minus three, and they bet 200 grand and they don't get their other bets in soon. The line's going to move before they get it. And now it's going to be minus four or five or whatever. And that's not what they wanted. So it's genius the way they do this. So anyway, that happens starting in 03 and the sports gamblers are copying the bets and they're, they are always just waiting on when Jack and Cannon is going to put in his $5,000 picks. You get to the 06, 07 season of the NBA and uh, Donaghy stops betting with Jack and Cannon. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And if people read Game in the Game, you get to see all the nuances in this. And this is what one of the many things that Untold gets wrong. Tim Donaghy stops betting with Jack and Cannon in November of 06. He tells everyone it's because that he was uh, getting nervous and he was frustrated, yada, yada, yada. Well, according to his best friend and fellow government cooperator, Tommy Martino, the reason that Tim Donaghy stopped betting with Jack and Cannon was because King Cannon kept losing money down Atlantic City casinos and couldn't pay Donaghy on the wins he was making. And he wanted to bet with someone else. Well, Martino was really good friends with this pro gambler, Jimmy Batista, I mentioned earlier. So he reaches out to Batista and Batista says, all right, well, look, he can, he can switch to me. But if he switches to me, I don't want him also betting with King Cannon. I thought that'll defeat my, my success with this arrangement. And that's when they set that fateful meeting uh, at the, at the uh, Philadelphia International Marriott in December of 06. 
That meeting is the meeting that Donaghy has confused and befuddled the public into thinking it was a meeting by the mob. If you go back to his book, and especially his book tour in 2009, Donaghy says he was greeted at the Philadelphia International Marriott. Two members of the Gambino crime family picked him up, took him for a ride. These are all quotes from him. <laughs> took him for a ride uh, and threatened uh, to uh, take a visit down to New York, pardon me, a visit down to Florida to visit his wife and kids if he didn't give them the picks. Well, according to Martino and to Batista, no, that's not what happened. They, he, asked, he asked Tommy, his best friend, to hook him up, and they met, and they cut a deal. And that, by the way, take Sean Patrick Griffin, Gaming the Game, Martino, and Batista out of this. This is another reason I get so frustrated with the media and, and now with the Untold special. If you look back in 2007 when the feds prosecute the case, they don't charge Martino or Batista with extortion. They never mention organized crime in any of the court filings. They don't charge anything with regard to racketeering or any conspiracy or whatever. Uh, you know, and by the way, you don't know this, but I do this for a living. Trust me, the feds are not shy about hyping organized crime cases or anything like that. But even better, when Donaghy goes through his sentencing because he pleaded, um, he pleaded guilty and cooperated with the government, the government had to submit paperwork about that. Well, in their paperwork, it says, the quote is, Donaghy has never said he was anything other than a quote unquote willing participant in the scheme, unquote. And then when the judge sentences Donaghy, she says about that meeting that a meeting was set up and that they made a quote unquote arrangement and that Donaghy was quote unquote more culpable than his co-conspirators. And my frustration is we're taping this in September of 2022. Those quotes are from 2007. And yet the public isn't aware of them because the media puts a microphone in front of Tim Donaghy and accepts it as gospel. And yet we already vetted all of this. It's already been resolved. And there's more to this. So with regard to the 06-07 season, they keep betting straight throughout the whole season. Batista was addicted to prescription pain medication. He goes into drug rehab on March 18, 2007. Now, according to Tim Donaghy, he says this in his book. He says it all the time on TV, podcasts, or whatever. He says, oh, thank goodness. I was relieved from the grip of organized crime. I've been waiting for this moment. Well, that's not what happened. When Batista goes into drug rehab, the other pro gambler, Pete Ruggieri, that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, he takes over for Batista. And the scandal continues. That's not Sean Patrick Griffin saying this. That's everybody else involved. Martino cooperated with the feds, and that's what he says. Ruggieri cooperated with the feds, that's what he says. And Tim Donaghy's plea arrangement, two things. First of all, he says that he implicated Jack and Cannon and Pete Ruggieri. Well, now you know why. And secondly, his plea deal, just like Martino's, goes through April. Batista's only goes through March because he stopped in March. I could debunk the Donaghy's nonsense in a hundred different ways, and I have on my website. Um, so anyway, so the scandal doesn't end. The scandal continues until early April, and Pete Ruggieri, the pro gambler, sees that betting lines are flying all over the place, which for people who don't know gambling, as I didn't before I took on this project, again, they're looking for mathematical odds and ways to increase their betting success. The way they do that is manipulating betting lines, no different than a stock. If you could literally dictate the price of a stock 
um, that you'd, you'd obviously increase your profits. Well, they do the same thing with betting lines. Well, he was no longer controlling them because by then the word on the street was that Donaghy was fixing games and people were just copying the bets. They didn't understand the nuances. They didn't know if anybody had cut any deals between each other or whatever. They didn't need to know. They just had to follow the betting lines and copy them where they went and chase the money. And so Pete Ruggieri shuts the scheme down in April. And then what, did, what happens? According to Tommy Martino, again, Tim Donaghy's best friend, who also operated with the FBI, he says that when he told Tim Donaghy that Pete Ruggieri was shutting the scheme down, that, that Donaghy begged for one more game. And yet the public in 2022 thinks that Tim Donaghy stopped betting in March when the mobster, Jimmy Batista, went into drug rehab. And none of that is true. Okay, so you blew my mind there. Um, <laughs> a couple of things just to, I, I think, to hammer home here is, first off, you're, uh, the, if you're not a better, you don't realize that the, the book makes money by ha- on how they're charging to take the bet, right? So that's how they're making money. So when you say the book wants 50-50, that's an extremely important thing that a lot of people don't. So, for instance, it, I don't know who the Cowboys are playing this week, but they come up with the Cowboys minus seven, plus seven. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that Vegas necessarily thinks that the Cowboys are seven points better or worse. It means that they're trying to get a balanced uh bets and so that's hugely important i don't i hear people talk all the time like oh the cowboys are seven point favorites like oh that's interesting but the cowboys get a lot more bets and so therefore they've got to inflate those lines so that's the first thing the second thing is as these lines are moving um i'm sure the folks in vegas if they were taking the bets or offshores are probably wigging out a little bit because trying to figure out where this is at it is gotta be Mm -hmm. kind of hard for them so i would love to hear if you've talked to some of those guys during this time what their perspective was but oh sure so let me go back to oh three because you said, and I'm not trying to quote you, but I understand. My understanding, again, is that Tim was selling picks, but wasn't betting on his own games. But you said he's <laughs> betting on his own games in 03. So how, did it start by him betting on his own games? Did it start by him selling picks to these? They're not selling picks, but yeah, selling picks basically to these plays. How did this actually originate? Because I wasn't clear about what you said. What is your understanding here? Sure. I love it. Uh, no, that's a great question. Donaghy's argument all along has been that he was not fixing games that he was simply the beneficiary of all this inside information and that he bet, according to Tim Donaghy, he bet equally on games he didn't officiate as those he did. And his betting success was just as good on games he didn't officiate. Neither of those claims is true. The entire appendix of Game in the Game is nothing but betting data, meaning I had access to Batista's laptop with his actual electronic timestamp bets in the offshore market. I had access to all the betting lines on all of the uh, sports books. Sports books were, when I was doing Game of the Game, they were very gracious. They actually gave me access to historical data so I could actually run the numbers to see whose lines were moving and how and why. And you could compare Donaghy's to other people and all that sort of stuff. But never mind, again, never mind my access to all this, you know, sensitive confidential information. With regard to the inside information claim, there are a bunch of ways to debunk that. First of all, Every one of the pro gamblers, and this is, again, the public doesn't know this, pro gamblers cooperated with the government, partly so that you and I would not know their names and that they work. No one knows who these people are. Well, I interviewed them and I know who they are and I know what they told the feds. Well, they all universally said the only reason they were doing this was because Donahue was fixing games. They weren't betting on other referees games. Obviously, they'd bet those two if they were winners. But the only reason they, A, discovered the scandal and B, continue was because the bets were only on Donaghy's games. That's number one. 
And by the way, Martino, again, Donaghy's best friend and government cooperator, he told the feds the same thing. That's number one. Number two, with regard to him using inside information and betting on other games just as equally, because look, if that really is how he's fixing it, that really is how he's winning bets, it wouldn't matter if he's officiating or not. If he just knows how the games are called, fine. Well, beyond that, you can look at any number of data sets about this. These, you don't even get access to my sensitive stuff. The betting lines, some of the betting lines are public data and other people have done that. ESPN.com did a big analysis a few years ago. Um, and then you, you also get to, when you get to the cooperators, there comes a period in the 06-07 season where for the first time, Donaghy starts betting, trying to bet, on other referees' games. They lose. And Batista says, okay, well, there's no point in taking these bets. We're losing millions of dollars. This is stupid. And so they stop taking the bets. That's not Jimmy Batista who says that. That's Tommy Martino who says that. So there's no disagreement about the scandal. It was only on games officiated by Tim Donaghy. The only reason people think for a second, that the that Tim Donaghy was using quote unquote inside information for his betting success is because he says it, and the media doesn't call him on it. Then that's the only reason. There's no dis there's really no disagreement about that. Okay, so he's only betting his games, and when he doesn't bet his games, he's just like the rest of us. He's just yeah. Okay, um, and so one of the arguments that got that Tim's made is that all these other refs are betting regularly uh, at casinos, mm. horse races, which is against the rules, at least yep. I think it still is. Right. It was for sure, sure. then. Is, mm -hmm. is that true or false, or do we know? It, it, no, no, it's true, but here's the thing. If you pay attention to how that's used in radio interviews and even in that, the new Untold documentary, it's always very carefully spun to leave this mystery out though. Well, wait, are they betting on their own games? Are they maybe influencing games? And but well, there's there's no evidence of that at all. But again, it's a way to deflect from the fact that Tim Donaghy was fixing games for four NBA seasons. That's sure. the only reason we're talking about that. Why? Why else would you care if a referee is betting a horse race? Well, the okay. NBA might care, but the public doesn't care. Right. Well, I would, well, okay. So I would say, well, the better might care because the, the better knows that Bob, the referee's at the horse track, <laughs> he might be inclined to think that he's doing it. So, um, right. but you know, I would say that if you are, uh, you know, if you're a gambler, your referee, you could get into debt and therefore you would fix a game. So, yes. Um, so, right. But by the way, that I, I agree with you, but that's no different than I won't disclose what this is, but there, there's actually an issue right now where uh, an official is going through a particular financial hardship. And I'll leave this open. I'll let your audience consider, right? Maybe it's a bad divorce. Maybe it's yeah. a lawsuit. Sure. Yeah, look, we, but, but that's what I'm saying. It could be any major life event right. that makes someone financially destitute, which would then cause them to make sketchy decisions. I'm not debating that. Yeah, yeah. I'm only saying the only reason we're talking about that side shoot of a, of a conversation is mm -hmm. because Tim Donaghy wants us talking about that. Yeah, okay, yeah. So what I, and yes, I think we're on the same page. I'm saying that, if they are breaking the rules, this is going to be where I'm going next. If they are breaking yeah. the rules, which they were, um, it doesn't necessitate that they're gambling on, on the games, of course. It, but mm -hmm. it does mean that they're breaking the rules and that the perception the NBA is giving off is that our officials are clean-cut individuals. They're not gamblers. They're not, you know, they are, you can trust us. Um, well, if they are gambling, they're breaking the rule, you open the door to be questioned on this other area, which is, are they then involved in this? It doesn't, it doesn't necessitate anything. It just, it just leads to, well, they're breaking this rule. And so what's going on over here? Um, mm -hmm. So 
one of the things that Tim argues, and this is I've heard, and this is what I'm curious your thoughts on, that they were going to go, and the FBI guy in the film seems to agree with this, they're going to go <laughs> to the NBA and run this sting operation um, to see who else was betting, and then the New York Post releases the story. And so, okay, I, I'm all in on this one. <laughs> I have no reason to be, but but I don't like David Stern, so a little, little confirmation by sir. Is that true? Is that false? Like, were they going to try to run a sting operation? What happened? That's a complicated answer. <laughs> uh, well, because, don't forget, I'm the, I'm the stick to the evidence guy, right? And, sure. and well, let's, there, let's, there, let's, there's no evidence of any of that, because here's the thing. You can string oh, a series quick, of facts that are yeah, together. Let's, let's, let's back up, maybe, because yeah. I, I kind of I kind of assumed the audience knew. Maybe unpack what I'm talking about, and then you can go to where you're going. So, sure. what actually was happening um, that we do know? So, Tim's arrested. He's talking to the FBI, and then take it from there. Well, here's the thing: the, again, the media. The I'm a, I make I make a distinction, by the way, between the untold production and a lot of the other media. And what I mean by that is the untold production takes place in 2021 and 2022. We know a lot more than we did in 07 through 09. Not, not that bad journalism back then was any better, but at least, okay, maybe they're rushing to get a story, they get it wrong, they don't have access to data, fine. But we resolved a lot of the nonsense conspiracy stuff. And when I say we, there are a handful of us who did this back in 09 through 2011. So anyone who actually cares knows, okay, that we've proved that false, that didn't happen, we show why that didn't happen. So with the, the, the whole untold situation where they're hyping this whole issue about the possibility that the, the investigation was going to go forward, that's partially true. But you have to be careful then making the leap to why it didn't go forward. I, I quote FBI officials, don't forget, the public keeps saying the FBI, the FBI. You're only hearing from Phil Scala, who was the supervisory super, super, supervisory special agent of the unit that housed the investigation. I'll bet you even people in your audience who think they've heard about the NBA betting scandal and Tim Donaghy have never heard the names Paul Harris and Jerry Conrad. Paul Harris was the case agent, that's FBI lingo for the lead agent, and Jerry Conrad was his partner on the case. They know more about this case than any of us combined will ever forget, right? They, they, they know everything about this. The public's never heard of them and they've never heard from them because they're still active and they can't talk about the case publicly. So with regard to when the case ends and why, I actually just tweeted about this this morning. People have to be careful assuming that A, what Phil Scalis said was the only potential reason. And secondly, that that quote was not edited for sensationalism on, on TV. Because there's an entire section about this in Game in the Game where I describe in detail where the FBI agents, don't forget, they A, start out thinking this is an organized crime case. These are, this is, these are organized crime investigators based in Brooklyn, New York. Well, over the course of however, however, however many months, they soon realize, oh my goodness, this is a white collar gambling case in the suburbs of Philly. And they have to keep traveling two hours down to this ridiculous case in Philly. Once they realized it wasn't really their turf, it's not organized crime, and it's it's gambling. And then once Donaghy agrees to plead guilty and Martino agrees to plead guilty, well, what what is there to do? And don't forget, one thing that was left out of that documentary also is at least four FBI field offices researched Tim Donaghy's claims. Tim Donaghy was the first person to actually reach out to the FBI. 
Tommy Martino did secondly, but that was only after he purged himself before the grand jury and knew he had problems. So the FBI couldn't necessarily rely on Martino's story, even though he was telling the truth, but you couldn't rely on that in a court of law because any good defense attorney would eat him up and say, well, aren't you saying this because you already got caught you know, lying before the grand jury? And they never had access to Batista or to Batista's betting records. So the FBI had no way to vet this. So what do they do? They listen to Tim Donaghy's story. They travel all over the country, four different field offices, look into the idea that the NBA is fixing games and dictating outcomes and all that conspiracy crap. And they come back and go, okay, he's leading us on wild goose chases. And there's actually a great quote where one of the FBI agents says, I wish the public knew how many of their tax dollars were wasted with us chasing down his conspiracy nonsense. So they then get, they then realize, okay, the case is over. And so with regard to the NBA, don't forget the way the criminal justice system works, the victim does have standing here. And so when they're going through the process, if the NBA is satisfied with the outcome, they're the victim. They're allowed to say, yeah, we're, we're fine with this. Now, look, you and I, as third-party observers, can say, wow, I know why they're trying to do that. They're trying to keep that away from them. That's fine, but that, that's not necessarily a conspiracy. That might be just smart business. Right. Well, I, I, I would say that um, the one thing that Tim said that I, it would seem to be plausible, not that the NBA necessarily fixes games, but that they that they adjust the way that they have the emphasized penalties, and by doing that, you're going to certainly influence games in some level because just by hey, we won't focus on this call or that call is going to influence games on some level. Whether the, or not the NBA is doing that to get certain desired outcomes is a separate question. But if you say hey, we want to focus on charges or whatever, then you you are going to change how the game's played, and but that doesn't necessitate that, that you know who's going to win or, or not. So. I suspect there's a lot of that. I mean, I know a college official and he would talk about, you know, they had these meetings and, um, you know, hell, hey, this, we, we want to emphasize this type of penalty this year or whatever. I didn't never took that to mean that the college football person in charge was trying to pick who was winning or not, but they were going to influence the way the game was played because they're just, so I think Tim, it, it's quite possible that Tim's right on the emphasizing of the calls. That seems to make sense. Is the NBA doing it so the Lakers win? I, I don't know about that. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised by that because it is a business and they do have a business interest as well. Um, so it could be something much more, um, benign, if you will, that the NBA was trying to protect itself from rather than this large conspiratorial gambling thing that, 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 that they are influencing how the games are played because they're trying to get certain calls and the outside observer could then accuse them of trying to pick who would win or lose. Would you agree with that assessment? That that's possible. Uh, uh, it, Too much for it's you. Po it, it's no, well, it's possible. But here's the problem: in 2022, look, this has been true for the last 15 or 20 years too. If if that were true, mm -hmm. with the scores of retired people who would have access to that information, you would hear about that. People can talk anonymously. It's not like they have to get in front of a camera and right. a microphone. You can you can get your word out if you're upset or you think it's ridiculous. By the way, that's literally how I make a living. <laughs> you have no idea how many boxes of files I have that I can't even get to because people have scuttled investigations. They're upset that something didn't go forward mm -hmm. and I'm their mouthpiece. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can get that out there if that's really happening. Um, but, you know, so there's, but my, that's my point. There's no evidence of that. And with regard to Tim Donaghy, Tim Donaghy could say that I work at the Citadel and I'd say, oh, I don't know, let me check that. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I literally have documented that guy lying Hundreds of times over a decade. So I, I just I can't I can't go there.
I just well, can't do it. So when you say get out, um, my my what I'm suggesting is, and I don't think this is undisputed, that organizations emphasize certain penalties that they won't call or not called. That they do. Sure. That's right. Okay. So we we that that's not conspiratorial. That's just factual. If the public knew how that was done, it might be hard for us to decipher if there's malicious intent behind it, right? So if we said, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to crack down on pass interference this week and the team that, that the more proper team passes more, you might say, oh, well, they're trying to let team A win and cost team B the game. Maybe that's what's going on, maybe not. So I suspect that the NBA is a little bit leery of pulling that curtain back because there might not be any um, they might not be trying to fix the game, but it would be hard for the public to actually discern what was going on because we don't think about the context of adjusting calls on, on a daily or weekly basis. So I, I think that would be a concern for them because they're, even if they're doing it with the best of intentions, which they quite possibly could be, it would be hard for me and you to decipher, is this actually um, good or bad or, or are they trying to fix the game or not? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. But I guess my, my whole point is, we're in 2022 and the majority of the public doesn't know that an NBA official was fixing games for four seasons. I mean, that should be like a monumental story. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> right? Well, that's the thing about the conspiracy world is that when you get in there, the thing that is the conspiracy, people kind of blow past and they go to all this other stuff. And you're like, well, okay. You know, the point about the, about the Justin calls is yeah, maybe the NBA is involved in this, but they, they are doing, they are doing this and this is common business, but we probably can't. We probably can't process that. But you do have Tim fixing games, and so Tim's allegation, though, to your point earlier, is that these other officials are involved. And you said that people would reach out to you if there was some there there possibly. Have you heard from other officials anonymously, of course, you don't have to give names, but that have reached yeah. out to talk to you about Tim, and what have they said about his story? Oh, well, I, a lot of them have reached out to me. Um, they, they, well, first of all, they're they're thrilled that someone is actually exposing the lies but it's drive it drives them crazy too and they can't talk mm. um, so and that's what i'm saying and by the way for your audience who's not familiar with my story or anything like that just to remind everyone i started out i bought donaghy's book i didn't realize it was a hustle <laughs> and so what, even even before gaming the game came out there was literally a part of my website which is devoted to critiquing donaghy's claims so much so that I put the files up online, I put an entire timeline, because I was so tired of the media contacting me and saying, Sean, we don't have time to research this like you do. You keep getting upset at us for getting it wrong. We don't have the resources that you do. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to resolve that forever. And I would just say, look, if you really want to fact check this, go to my website. And this is even before Game in the Game gets published. I just was done with all this nonsense. And so, um, yeah, a handful of uh, referees reached out to me. I, I always say this. When I was doing research for Game in the Game, I reached out to both the NBA and the NBA Referees Association. They're they're different, mm-hmm. uh, hope, hoping that they would allow me to interview them. And you know, I'm a bit naive, I guess, as an academic. I really thought they'd want to hear what I had discovered and explained to me, and they wanted nothing to do with that. And then when Game right. in the Game was published, they were asked about it at a couple at a couple of news conferences, and they just dismissed it and said, "Well, we'll look into it." And of course, they never did. They were smart. They just they just ignored it. And, yeah, uh, I mean, I, again, I think that there are questions in any business. Um, you, you're at the Citadel. If you were to ask questions of administrators in a certain way and they gave an answer, it's not entirely cl- clear that people outside could process why they're making the decisions that they are and the intent sure. behind the decisions could be questioned. So I think that's part of their concern here is they are adjusting things 
perhaps with the most pure motive ever, but it would be hard for me and you to sit there and go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and not, not attribute that. So I think that's a definite concern. Well, no, I think, well even in that, in that Netflix special, you also hear of a conspiracy theory about the NBA signing a TV deal um, oh yeah, I'm glad to, you brought that up. In, yeah, yeah. In order, in order to scuttle um, the whole NBA betting scandal story, there again, look, these are major deals. They're in the works for months, if not years. And not only that, but when they sign the deal, let's let's assume the conspiracy theory is correct well, that the, the NBA. Listen, so, yeah. so, 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 so the conspiracy is that um, Tim and the FBI go to David Stern and company and say, "Hey, we've got this scandal. We want to do this inside sting." Yada yada yada. The 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 story breaks. Uh, before the story breaks, the NBA signs these huge TV deals months in advance, and then the story breaks. Um, and so Stern has got more money than he would have if the story scandal would have broke. That's the basic overview of the conspiracy, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, and so. and and the whole thing is, if if the TV networks were remotely upset about that deal, which of course would be the natural into this if they really were getting screwed like oh my gosh we would never have signed that deal had we known about this scandal brewing well they could have gotten behind a microphone or as i keep saying they could easily have gotten the word out anonymously and said this is outrageous what they did to us but that never happened or sued yeah sued. i mean that's, <laughs> they got lawyers. that's what i'm saying there's <laughs> right. there, there's not but as i keep saying there's no there's no proof on on either side but they never even present the either side like yeah wait mm-hmm. a second you would, you know, you could have people giving pushback or as you say, suing or whatever. None of that ever happened. Yeah. And that's just like in the, in the Netflix special where Donaghy talks about being extorted by mobsters. They're literally interviewing the FBI supervisory special agent on the show. Mm-hmm. You could have asked him, well, okay, why wasn't anybody charged with extortion? Mm. Why, why, why would the judge say that Donaghy is more culpable than Batista and Martino if he was a victim? There, there's another interview Tim Donaghy does where he talks about being in frequent contact with Jimmy Batista. And I keep waiting for the radio host to go, wait a second. The guy that you just told us 20 minutes ago was threatening your wife and kids. You're talking to him all the time. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But they never connect the dots and realize, oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's actually admitting it was all BS. Well, what you've done is you've established the timeline. And so you can operate because as I'm talking to you, obviously, as a as a, someone who's followed the story so far, it, you have all these various anchor points to use that term. Yeah. Like, well, this, this, and, and for the rest of us, without doing the chronology, it's really hard for us to realize potential con- uh, conflicts or yeah. contradictions mm-hmm. because we don't have the dates. And so I, I, I can appreciate you, your frustration, but it's, <laughs> yeah. So we have to go do the timeline on your website so we can, we can all kind of <laughs> well, the other, wrap around well, this. But, here, but, but Ryan, here's another example. Um, with with an, a real obvious one, if people watch the Netflix special, there's a great scene in there where, by the way, the thing looks incredible. They do great production work. Uh, there's a scene in there where Martino and Donaghy talk about the code they used to go do the bets on the phone. And t- uh, Tommy Martino had two brothers. One lived away, one lived closer to home. And so they would pick the brother's name that lived away if Donaghy was picking the away game that night yeah. and the other brothers. But people didn't realize, wait a second, they're admitting without admitting it that the game, the bets were only on games Donaghy was officiating. Because mm-hmm. if there are 12 NBA games that night and you say, oh, yeah, I'm visiting Johnny tonight. Well, that doesn't tell you what game you're betting. Right. Right. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people did not realize, oh, my goodness, this is his BS has exploded in so many ways, but they're not selling it that way because they wanted to frame it a certain way for a sexy story. <laughs> yeah. It, well, so. And so Tim's wife was interviewed in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. She 
or ex-wife, I should say. Um, yep. And she seemed to be um, kind, basically, to him, more or less. Um, she didn't seem to trash him. Of course, it's edited, so you don't know. Um, but the picture that you're painting is basically Tim's a borderline sociopath. Like he's a habitual well, liar. Yeah, I, I was someone, someone involved in that production called him a psychopath. And I, I told my wife, I said, you know, that might be exaggerated. So I looked up psychopath and there's actually a page on WebMD and it's sociopath versus psychopath. Yeah. I, and I printed it out and I was like, oh my gosh. And I went to my wife and said, he's a psychopath. I just, I don't, it's not my area of research. So I didn't know. <laughs> um, but no, he, yeah, he's got issues. And with regard to his ex-wife, uh, her strategy was that um, she didn't like the fact that people didn't realize there were other victims to this. Mm. And she wasn't going to criticize Tim publicly because he's still the father of her kids. Yeah, sure. I, I know. I just, I just, I did find that, yeah. that, that that makes it more compelling though. For Tim's story is that the ex-wife is not on here just absolutely thrashing him. Whereas that would, that would shit, that would shift how you viewed him. If you had the ex-wife on the documentary crushing yeah. him. Right. Okay. A couple sure. things here. We got just a few minutes left. A couple things here. Um, you mentioned some things that Tim has said in court. And so a pushback there would be, um, well, if he's, you know, he's trying to get the best deal possible, he's, he perhaps is willing to change his statement to, to appease the government. You mm-hmm. say mob stuff, mobsters will say whatever sometimes to kind of get the government. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to that, that critique or that, that, that question at least? Oh, I listen, I agree. It happens all the time. Uh, and by the way, though, like here, I'll give you an example. Tim Donahue will tell you that he did not want to sign his plea agreement because of one sentence in there. And the sentence is that he admits that he may have subconsciously influenced game outcomes. He had an argument with the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office over this. They they could not prove, demonstrably prove he was fixing games. And I, by the way, if we have minutes, I want to explain that too. But anyway, okay, well, anyway, so so once they did that, though, they told him, look, we can't prove you're fixing games, but there's no way that you have a financial outcome of a game because you're betting and it's not influencing your on-court behavior. So they came up with this line that says, Donaghy admits he may have sub- subconscious, it may have subconsciously affected his on-court performance. So he signs the plea deal and ever since then has said, A, he doesn't still to this day know what it means. And if it was up to him, he wouldn't sign it, but he just wanted it over. So that's the issue with his plea deal that he takes exception to. Other than that, he agrees. Like, there's not a thing in there that he disagrees with. And why would he? Don't forget, the plea deal is not for four years of fixing. The plea deal is for only betting on his own games for a portion of the 06-07 season. He got off light. They could have really gone after him. But again, this was a sideshow to what the FBI guys in New York really wanted to be doing. They just wanted this pain in the neck case over. And with regard to them uh, doing their research on whether Donahue was fixing games, Even for your audience who aren't sports fans, just follow me on this because it's important. Donaghy keeps telling people the FBI concluded I didn't fix games. And in fact, the USA Today in their review of the Untold show a week ago, I actually had to email the author of this, the journalist with this. He writes in his piece that the FBI concluded he didn't fix games. That never happened. They had a handful of FBI agents reviewing game tape. Now walk through here. You're an FBI agent. Why would you have any expertise at figuring out what would be something to look for in an NBA game or an NBA official getting wrong? It's not a knock against the FBI agents, but how would they know? It's not their fault. And beyond that, Donaghy says to the FBI, I don't remember what games I picked. Well, stop right there. If he's not telling you what games he picked, 
Mm-hmm. He's then not telling you what side of the game he picks. Mm-hmm. And you also then don't know the betting line. So right. again, if you're the FBI agents, at what are you looking? There's nothing to research. Yes. And once they realize they don't have access to Batista and his betting records, and, and they can't figure out, if, they just say, okay, what's the point? And we, we get him to admit that he subconsciously fixed games, and we're done here. Yeah. There's, that's one of those nuanced things that you and I talked about at the beginning, Ryan, where the public goes, oh, well, they, they concluded he didn't fix games. That never happened. And, and the FBI agents would tell you that themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, I, the, go ahead. Go ahead. well, there's one other point to this. Don't forget, I interviewed them for Game in the Game, mm-hmm. and they learned not as much from me as I did from them, but they did learn from me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they realized when I told them about the betting line analysis I did, you wouldn't have needed a court order to get access to those betting lines. They're public, they're public knowledge. And they could have, if I were them, I would have looked at the betting lines first before I ever approached Tim Donaghy mm-hmm. and ever interviewed him. So that when he starts talking about, oh, I bet equally on games I didn't officiate as those I did, well, you could say, stop right there. Mm-hmm. Here's the data. And then when he says, I didn't influence games, whatever, you can say, stop right there. Here's the data. Mm-hmm. You, you could have had a much more thorough vetting of his claims, which would have then allowed you to call BS on all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. But that they didn't, they didn't think of it because it's not what they do. Yeah. And so I, I would say to the point about the officiating, um, you know, I'm more of a football fan than basketball fan. So um, on, in football and in basketball as well, every play, they can call a penalty, every play, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a question of whether the ref sees it, what position they are, you know, what they want to call it, all that stuff. And so, yeah, to watch a game and to determine this ref is intentionally trying, it's, it's extremely hard because it's just hard. It would take something like the Kings game where, like, you feel, and I'm not saying that they fix that, but you would just, that, they take something that egregious for us all to be like, mm. um, so, yeah, I, I would agree that the average person watching a game, no matter how much of a sports fan they are, it's almost impossible to determine what this call is because you can call or not call so many yes. things. And that just makes well, sense. And the- Oh, and the other thing is go back and I have this on my website, actually, I posted a montage. He, he's, he would be a politician's dream candidate because <laughs> he stays on message, man. It's impressive. And he says over and over again, I was not making incorrect calls to influence these games. Mm-hmm. Well, according to the gamblers, that's true. Their argument all along was that he was calling technically correct calls that are very rarely enforced. Right. That way they wouldn't get picked up by auditors and things like that. And it turns out that Donaghy was always one of the highest rated officials every year he officiated. And he would call screwy calls for palming, illegal defense, things that other people didn't do. So you wouldn't pick up on that. So again, if you're the FBI agents, you don't know all the other stuff I already told you. They're looking at the end of games, thinking games are in the balance. And they're looking for malicious or egregious calls. Well, if the games were being fixed in the first and second quarter with technically correct calls, you wouldn't know to look for that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it makes, yes, I, I, I am with you there. Um, okay, a couple last things here for you. Um, whistleblower podcast, which kind of got me back into this <laughs> story a few years ago. Uh, I figured that's going to be your reaction. I, it's been so long since so I've listened to it. I don't really remember uh, much about it. I just remember going, oh, I'm a Tim Connolly story back. Let me go listen to that. So I'm guessing you're not, not a fan? Well, if you listen to it, you know that I'm in three episodes of that. And I, I spent a day with the produ- production team in Atlanta. They were very nice. Mm-hmm. But um, – and by the way, I dealt with the Netflix people too. Mm. Generally speaking, the way all these things work, because I'm the one who wrote Gaming the Game, people do come to me, mm. but they don't like what I have to say. Mm. You know, because game, in Gaming the Game, I don't take a perspective. So if if Tim Donaghy says that he only made thirty to forty thousand dollars on the NBA betting scandal, I write that. 
But Tommy Martino says that he paid Tim Donaghy between 115 and 120,000. I write that. Jimmy Batista says that his estimate is that he paid Donaghy 201 to 209,000. I don't take a perspective on that. I just want the readers to know that this is the area of disagreement. Right. My problem with productions like Whistleblower and Netflix, they literally start those projects with a narrative in mind. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what evidence is presented to them. They're hammering that sucker home. Mm. And so with Whistleblower, for example, one of my main grievances with Whistleblower, when they first started advertising it, they called it a story about the mobbed up ref. Mm. The, well, the mob had nothing to do with this. The, the, the mob was copying the bets in the last few months of a four NBA season. <laughs> they had nothing to do with it. They would, no one, no one even, they had nothing to do with this. So like, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, Batista and these pro gamblers, they have what are called outs all over the world. Well, they're not naive. If you're moving that kind of money, yeah, you're going to be one, two, three degrees removed from all sorts of people, mm -hmm. but that, they're, they're not the ones dictating anything. And in fact, there's a great line in gaming the game where Batista says, people get the relationship with organized crime wrong. We're the whales and they're the fish. We're the ones who are moving the markets and moving the betting lines. We can take money out of their pockets, not the other way around. Mm. And, and so the idea that the mob, so when I talked to the production team at Whistleblower and I'm like, what's with the mobbed up stuff? I mean, you've got Michael Imperioli, the guy from Sopranos doing the voiceovers. For yeah, the podcast. I forgot about that. And there's, and there's <laughs> this, yeah, and there's this whole like ominous, sinister thing. And so uh, when, when the lead producer, I guess in that world, it's executive producer, uh, said, well, yeah, we're, we're trying to capture that world. And I'm like, that's my point. It's, that's not that world. Mm. These professional gamblers, there's a great line in Game in the Game where uh, the four, four, main, four of the main people were hanging out at a Denny's in Las Vegas off the strip. And uh, one of them says, if the public could come in here and see us four slobs, sitting here, they would have no idea that we're the ones who are moving millions of dollars around mm -hmm. the sports betting world and dictating betting lines around the world every day. Mm -hmm. They just wouldn't know. These are, these are people who have high-end math skills, have research teams. They start betting every day, 13 hours ahead in Asia, so that they can move the betting lines, so that when they get to Europe, which is six hours ahead, they move a little bit differently, so that by the time you're on the East Coast, you wake up in the morning and you look at the, the New York Post or whatever to see the betting lines, that betting line has been manipulated for 12 hours to get it where they want it. So they're going to bet 200 grand overseas. And when they get it to where they want it, they're going to bet two or 3 million on the other side of that bet. In the United all States. The, all the exactly. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and so that's, they're not mobsters. They're you, you would, you could literally have them as neighbors. Mm -hmm. So the way whistleblower podcast was all the sensational conspiracy stuff. And uh, that looked to me, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. I think the Netflix Untold thing is the whistleblower podcast with a lot of glamour. It looks awesome. Mm. Okay. And go back to the statement real quick. This is the last thing for you. You said, what, how did Tim, because he, he brings this up quite often about his, um, his plea bargain. What was the statement and, and how is it written exactly? It's written that he admits that he may have subconsciously, subconsciously yeah. influenced game out outcomes. Yeah. The biggest problem. I, okay. Just when well, I'm listening to Whisperer or watch the documentary or hearing him talk, when he says that to me, it's like this is the sign of someone who's not admitting anything. Like, mm -hmm. like this, like, like that is. Yes. I don't know about all this other stuff because I don't know about the NBA and I, I have no idea. I just know that for me, when he, he he pounds this line home, and it's like, you think I'm stupid? Like you think I'm stupid? I don't know if it's true <laughs> here or not, but I know you think I'm stupid because there's no way you believe that. And if you do, you're a psycho, social, whatever the right word is. Yeah, you're yeah, crazy. Right. Because there's no way that you 
believe this. And if you do, we probably should lock you into the asylum because you've you've lost it here. So to me, that's the thing about this story. Where, again, I haven't researched like you have. I'll, I'll follow it kind of what comes up. But that should bring into question him just as a, just as a truth teller because there's no way that's what's going on there. Well, the other thing, too, is this goes back to the very beginning of this podcast where you were making the point that people will state something and then take leaps. Well, with this, whenever he says, I made mistakes, I want someone to say, yeah, what do you t- when you say that, what do you mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or when you when, <laughs> uh, so he says, yeah, well, uh, I, I may have subconsciously. All right. Well, what do you mean? You know, whatever. No, people don't call him on any of this. And I just I just have a problem with that. I don't look. I don't interview people when I when I got access to the pro gamblers. I assume they were lying. Right. They're you're literally interviewing people whose career at that time was illegal. It's now mm-hmm. legal, but back then it wasn't. You can't you can't assume that. Like one of them, uh, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. Partly how I did the research. One of them, I sat on an L-shaped sofa in a basement, and I gave him a list of Donaghy's games. Mm-hmm. He thought we were both looking at the same piece of paper. We weren't. Mm-hmm. I had a piece of paper with the games, the opening betting lines and uh, closing betting lines for the games and the outcomes. All he had was Donaghy's schedule with the games. And it was scary when he walked me through. Yeah, this game, we did this. It opened here. We moved. Well, I'm literally <laughs> looking at the thing. It was unbelievable. And so, but, you know, so that's if you're if you're in my line of work, you have to do things like that to, to assess people. I don't just give them the microphone. Sure. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to link to, obviously, um, your website seanpatrickgriffin.net or a link to the book anywhere else you want to send people to twitter facebook yes yes thank you for asking um on twitter it's spg author and i i post a lot of stuff on twitter because i don't ever want to be called be called a grifter so i'm trying to resolve these historical issues on twitter without telling people my goodness i i sell the book buy the Mm -hmm. book i don't i just I post as much on my website and as much on Twitter at SPG author as possible. And I try to answer as many questions as I can. Twitter is not exactly ideal for that, but I try. Yeah. That, that, that's how I found you was on Twitter. I was, uh, I watched the documentary. Um, God bless Netflix for one and a half speed. All, all platforms should have that. <laughs> so I watched the documentary and then I was bouncing around to see what people were saying about it. And I, I saw you and you're like, this is all wrong. And I'm like, well, I know some of it's wrong because of what I said about Tim's statement. I know some of it's wrong, but like, it's all wrong. Okay. What's what's all wrong? So I was kind of reading your Twitter and, and some of the interviews, and I was like, okay, well, I know nothing here, which is which is the listeners know I know nothing. So that, that's that's the norm for this podcast, and so it's good. Well, this podcast is invaluable though because you know there's that uh, I, I won't say the word, but you know there's the BS asymmetry principle uh-huh. where so, somebody can say something that's factually untrue in a sentence, mm-hmm. and it takes paragraphs or pages to debunk it. Mm-hmm. So with, without long form forms like this it's it's hard to do yeah oh yeah absolutely absolutely so okay so any, any new projects you have coming up or you're in that you can tell us about or not no not not at the moment but thanks for asking okay well look forward to following your future work and uh thanks for your time today thanks a lot ryan okay there it is there it is i learned a lot i hope you did too warroommedia.com is where you can let me know your thoughts and we'll talk to you tomorrow